Hi, my name is Bob Brooks, host and moderator of Long in the Tooth. This is a podcast primarily for late career dentists who are interested in doing a great job with their practices currently and also in planning for a transition of their practices to new ownership in the future. Our vision for the podcast is to be an educational format, not salesy at all. If you have been directed to join this podcast by a member of the dental industry in the United States, please thank them. This is going to benefit you. These are educational presentations that will hopefully help your profitability, your peace of mind, and your planning for the future as you are considering transitioning your practice to new ownership. Hi, this is Bob Brooks with Long in the Tooth Podcast. We're pleased to have Genevieve Poppy with us again today, and our topic is your practice growing or churning. Genevieve, glad you could join us. Thanks for having me back. Sure. Well, what do, what do you mean by uh, growing and what do you mean by churning? Can you define those terms for us, please? Sure. Um, I think a lot of practices don't have a great sense of whether they're growing or not. And by that, I mean, do they have a patient base that's actually getting larger or are they dependent on new patients to fill in both the production and profitability, but also the patient numbers of previously existing patients? And a lot of practices define their health simply by, is my schedule full? And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's their only measure of, of where, the, where they are, but they stay flat year over year over year. They remain dependent um, on new patients to, to maintain the same level of production. And that's usually a sign that there's something um, unhealthy happening in the practice. Yes, I see some late career dentists that they don't ever make any changes in the practice. And you just see collections gradually creeping down, creeping down, creeping down, creeping down. So I guess that would be what you call churning, where you're just kind of doing the same old thing and getting the same old results, basically. Right. You're you're filling. You're instead of having new patients and new procedure mix and and um, new blood in your practice actually contributing to a growing practice, it's just holding you the same. So it's a lot of energy for no real gain. Right. Just keeps you in the same place. And so. And it's a, lot, it's, it's a lot of spend a lot of times. It's a lot of marketing dollars spent to keep you exactly the same. And so um, it's a word that you know we don't look at a lot in the dental world. Uh, a lot of businesses measure their churn rate or they measure their customer churn. And we just tend to look at it, you know, is our hygiene schedule full? And, and while there's some comfort in having your hygiene schedule full, it, it's really not telling you the whole picture about the health of your practice. Well, you know, some late career practice owners are concerned when we use the term growing, they think, oh, I'm going to have to add a day a week or I'm going to have to do all this extra work. How, how would you define growing or, or how could it be defined? Well, you know, there's a lot of different ways to grow a practice and it doesn't always come down to, you know, more hours, more work. Um, but also I think there's... A, a lot, of, a lot of times that attitude comes from some fatigue with the practice, right? That comes from some things not working out well, either with team or culture, um, or even just you know patient flow, case acceptance, things like that. And so it, it can kind of point to the idea that if you're 
the idea of growing exhausts you. You might not have built um, the practice into a place that it really makes you happy, or it might have changed over time, and you didn't just have the energy to address that and fix it. And, and I get that as you move into the end of your career, but it's such a shame. You know, um, I, I've acquired seven dental practices in my career, and um, I, I've looked at, as a result of that, I've looked at, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of dental practices in this exact place. And it's such a shame to me when I see what those doctors leave on the table because they didn't have the energy or motivation to sort of rev up and, and finish strong. And, um, you know, there's great value from people who are looking at practices and seeing year over year growth, active patient growth. You know, those are things that a new doctor wants to see. And, you know, not feeling like it is probably not the, not the best feeling or approach to have in the end of your career. What impact can making some changes have that, that affect profitability? Even if growing is just simply growing profitability, it may not be uh, working more. It may be uh, making some changes as far as the way the, the phone is answered, as, what, as far as the way the treatment plans are presented. Uh, all, all the things that we've talked about in some previous previous episodes, um, if some of these changes are made that don't require any more work on the part of the practice owner, just simply changing how they do things, and and that uh, has an in, increase in profitability. In some cases, a substantial increase in profitability. Uh, what's a you know that that makes an obvious connection with increased practice value. So it seems like at a time in uh, a late uh, late career practice owners career that, you know, that would be, it may not be their primary focus, but it's certainly a, a nice spinoff result. Well, the beautiful thing about those established practices is their break even tends to be fairly low, right? And so a small amount in increase in productivity and profitability yields a, a significant amount of cash flow to them. So they're not only taking out more cash for small moves at that point, but they're increasing the value of their practice. So they're sort of, they're winning both ways. And I think sometimes those moves, um, while it doesn't re require them working harder, it requires them facing hard decisions. And that can feel kind of scary um, because sometimes it's realizing you might have the wrong person in the wrong seat and you have had them there for 15 years, you know? And um, the fact that your case acceptance is, you know, hovering at 30, 40% for a, you know, a, a population of patients you've been taking care of for a long time, or you're seeing your schedule full of uh, the easy stuff on a treatment plan. I see that all the time um, where doctors will think they've got great case acceptance because people are doing something from their treatment plan. Um, but what, what I'm seeing is, you know, <laughs> literally check patient checkouts that sound like, let's just do the fillings, right? <laughs> They'll take the easiest thing that they can get accepted uh, because they don't want to have hard money conversations so they're not even scheduling their doctors productively. A lot of times just simple stuff, right? So it's getting that whole treatment plan accepted. It's getting it scheduled productively and efficiently. It's teaching your team to have your schedule be to goal, not full. And even practices that have been in business a really long time are sometimes missing uh, fundamental and somewhat simple things to implement that don't require, actually make their doctor's life better and easier from a, an operational um, standpoint, but they require hard choices 
and um, tough conversations and just uh, the fear of people, not even their own fear of change, but the fear of other people's reaction to change. And so it keeps them stuck. And they, you know, I talk to older doctors all the time that just say, you know, I have three years, there's only so much I want to do. And, you know, that's their choice. But a lot of the stuff that would make really big difference in their practice isn't, isn't technically difficult. It's, it's just hard. <laughs> well, you know, one thing you said at, at the initial part of your answer there about the, um, you know, small changes in, you know, well-established long-time practice can have a pretty significant uh, difference and make a significant difference in profitability is that, you know, whatever they're doing right now, it's covering their basic cost. It's covering their fixed cost. It's covering their lease payment, you know, your staff expense, your utilities, all these fixed costs are being covered. So the additional that you add, the profit margin on that is much higher than what they're already doing. So, you know, if their profitability level might be 35, 40, 45%, it could be, you know, 55, 60, 65% on the, these additional, this additional work or by making these additional changes. Right. Because so much is fixed expense. I think, I think that's a, um, it seems obvious to you and I, because we've looked at this, but a lot of docs, I don't think realize just how much more cash flow could be coming to them with a small amount more of production. So once you're past that fist, fixed cost, you know, usually the variable costs are about 15% in a dental office. So if you add an extra $100,000 over the course of the year, that's $85,000 in profit. It doesn't usually require an additional body to do it or, or additional hours. It requires just a little focus and a little attention to, the more established a practice, my, my common finding is the more low-hanging fruit there is. Good point. Well, let me ask you about the impediments that late career dentists face in implementing changes. Some of them are psychological. Some of them are tangible. What, what would be the psychological challenges? Well, the psychological, I think, come from um, kind of what I was saying earlier. There's a, a big fear of conflict, and the longer a team exists together, the harder that feels. Right. And so even though what we're talking about might feel simple, like um, we should just be able to change or implement this one idea around scheduling or this one idea around improving the skill, um, the docs are afraid to push that. They're afraid of the pushback. They know when they've tried that before, it maybe didn't go well. And um, I think sometimes they've, they've kind of given up. <laughs> they've given up the fight and they're, it's fine enough. And so the idea of taking on something new, if it's going to make one person on their team upset or mad, they'll, they'll avoid it. And it's, it's sad to me because I think even if you have three years left, you should finish with a team that's fully on board for you and is totally invested in anything they can do to make your practice successful. So what would some of the, the tangible challenges be as far as implementing changes? Yeah, tangible. Um, there's not a lot of them, right? <laughs> so mostly psychological. It's mostly it's all in psychological the head. because the things that that I'm talking about, at least, don't really require technology or extra bodies or extra money. You know, they're they're not things that require big investment or a different space or anything like that. They're just sort of picking up what's there and looking at it in a different way and deciding to seize it. 
And um, so I, I'm sure that there, there are probably some tangible changes people could come up with, but I would tell you they would be very small hurdles compared to the psychological aspect. Wow, that's insightful. You know, uh, transitioning a practice to new ownership, uh, it may not be, you know, something that a 55-year-old dentist wakes up thinking about every day if they plan to practice dentistry for many years to come. But, you know, transitioning a practice to new ownership, whether it's by selling a practice and continuing to work for the buyer or just simply leaving dentistry, it's an inevitable event. I mean, everybody leaves dentistry someday. So um, why do you think so many practice owners don't plan for an inevitable event like this? <laughs> I, I'm guessing because they just think it's easy at the end. They just list it and sell it. You know, I, I, it seems crazy, right? Like it seems obviously people should be thinking about this thing. Um, but I don't know that it's on their radar, all of the factors that buyers will be looking at in their practice. And it's not not just a three-year window, right? And it's more than that. It's, do you have healthy systems in place? Have you developed a healthy team culture over time? You know, have you attracted the right type of patient base? You know, have you kept your facility appealing and, and things like that? And so, um, you know, I think a lot of people I see get to the end and they're all of a sudden they want a, a transition that's really good for their team, but they've let their team become complacent and, um, change of you know risk and change averse over time and then in so doing they're setting their teams up to not transition well or successfully um, because a new doctor will inevitably have their own vision and their own ways they want things done and if you haven't taught a team that that's you know their prerogative and it's our job as team members to support that and we're smart people who are nimble and able to adapt and change um, you're not doing them any service and you're not doing your transition or the new doctor any great service. And ultimately, you're not serving your patients in setting everybody up for a really great transition where team is retained. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, transitioning a practice to new ownership uh, for many is it's important from an income standpoint. They're looking toward, you know, the, the sale price being a significant part of the retirement. And, and some, some practitioners are not, you know, they've done extremely well and they're happy to sell their practices, but it's not, you know, the getting the last dollar is not that big of an issue. But generally speaking, most sellers prefer to get the highest price that they can. And it's also, you know, besides, uh, you know, getting married or the birth of children or, you know, something like that, uh, it's a milestone event in their lives. So uh, do you... What's been your experience with the, the practitioners that you've seen? Have, have you seen that the income from the sale of practice in general is uh, uh, important to most sellers? Or would you say that it's, you know, that they put a lot of money away and it's not that big a deal when it happens from what you've seen? I've seen both. And I always feel like it's a real shame when I see a doctor who needs to get a certain dollar amount out of their practice, that their retirement is hinging on the sale. Um, because it, it keeps them crippled in finding the best transition and the best process. And it also tells me that, you know, kind of going back to what we were speaking about, there probably should have been more focus for them in the, the last years of their career at 
being more profitable at taking more money home from their practice. And in a lot of cases, I mean, it's really simple. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. The first practice that I bought, the doctor had just sort of scaled back to three days a week, which is fine. You know, um, he had a, a loyal patient base, but they were underserved because he didn't have enough hygiene days available for the number of patients he had. And so I literally took it in less than a year from a, a $600,000 practice to a million dollar practice by adding a couple days of hygiene and calling people who were overdue. That was wow. it. <laughs> it wasn't rocket science. You know what I mean? It didn't require a great deal of effort or a great deal of money. Um, it was just some really basic stuff that, uh, you know, people just sort of let go. And um, it's sad to me. I, I promise you, if you're, if you're in that back half of your, you know, that last decade of your career, there's, there are things you can do within the same practice uh, to be substantially more profitable if you're up for, if you're up for a, a little bit of change and you can take home so much more money and be so much less dependent on that final purchase price. Um, because you know, COVID should teach us something, right? <laughs> there were a lot of practices that just didn't get sold, that just shut down. Um, and you, you can't, be guaranteed that exit that you're hoping for. And so you're really better off to have that be a bonus in, in my mind. Very, very good information. Now, our last question today is from your perspective, uh, you know, you're a high level practice consultant. What do you see as most practices have in common that experience successful transitions? You know, it's kind of like if you looked at all the billionaires of the world, what you, you ask the question, what do all the billionaires in the world have in common as far as their business success? You know, people want to know what the secret sauce is. So in, in regard to uh, practice owners, what would you say is a common thread uh, between all the practice owners that have had successful transitions in your view? Oh, I would say that the single most common thread is um, setting clear expectations for all parties involved um, and, and being honest and transparent about what's happening and um, managing your own emotions around it as the selling dentist. And, and by that, I mean, like you said, that selling a practice is a milestone event for doctors. And a lot of them, even those that are pretty certain they're ready to do this, they're not they can't prepare for what it really feels like to sell that practice especially if they're planning to stay on for a bit that is a really hard move to make and so um, building a good relationship with the the new incoming if there's going to be any sort of overlap and being ready to embrace their vision instead of holding on to your own and why you know and what you started out and set out to do because inevitably your new buyer will have their own vision and you'll be so much happier to embrace them and help them succeed instead of fighting the changes that you're, you're seeing happening. Well, Genevieve, as always, your insights have been extremely helpful today. And could you please share your contact information with our listeners? Sure, absolutely. You can um, find me on my website. It's poppypracticemanagement.com. Poppy is P-O-P-P-E. Uh, I'm pretty much the only Genevieve Poppy on LinkedIn and Facebook, so you can find me there. Or you can actually just give me a call. My number is 608-358-3370. Thanks, Genevieve. Thanks.